Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Football Outsiders live stream and podcast. I'm Scott Spratt, a writer for Football Outsiders, filling in once again from Aaron Schatz and Mike Tanier. Don't worry, they'll be back next week from the Combine in Indianapolis, presumably spending 60 minutes or so talking about how big Kenny Pickett's hands are. In lieu of that discussion today, though, we're going to welcome in Brian Knowles from Football Outsiders as well. Uh, we're going to do a free agency preview of the AFC East, which, Brian, I have to say, given how much work you've done in the NFC South as late, this is probably a refreshing change of pace for you, right? My usual strategy is useless here. I look at the roster and find a lot of these teams are already good or at least already have a plan for the future. So I'm in uncharted territory for me this week. Absolutely. I mean, that obviously gets started with the Buffalo Bills. We'll start with them. They won the division last year at 11 and 6. You might remember they lost in the divisional round to the Chiefs in an unbelievable game. Uh, they finished second in DVOA as well. Uh, I would say the major narrative of their season last year was that they had a very, very good chance of winning the Super Bowl. Maybe you could say that they were 13 seconds away, maybe a lost coin flip away from doing so. And Brian, I feel like you have particular perspective on that because you did some some really interesting work looking at one score records that I think maybe the Bills were actually better than even their their successes suggest, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the uh, Bills were only 11-6 uh, last year, and that's because they were very, so variant. They mm. lost so many one-score games to really questionable teams. It seems like when they showed up, they were arguably the best team in football. They crushed people all over the place. But then they then, then they had weeks where they showed up and, and the Jaguars beat them 9-6 to six or something because they just yeah. couldn't get going. So I believe they ended up as the second or third most variant team we've ever tracked at Football Outsiders, going back into the 80s at this point in time. That is so that that is something where you think, well, th- those are things you can clean up. There are there were there were games where they seemed to get locked into, well, we're going to establish our running game no matter what, and they let that situation slip away from them. So if anything, you think that their second place finish, uh, second place DVA finish, mm-hmm. is understating their actual talent level because this is still a young developing team that got a lot of lot of uh, interesting young skill players that are still kind of developing as professional football players. So. You could, I think if you can just get more consistent on a week-to-week basis, they're going to be in the Super Bowl conversation for years to come. Yeah, to me, there's a very interesting balance here. It's, it's almost a philosophical choice. It's you're really good right now. Obviously, you finished second in DVOA last year. Do you want to try to maximize your chances to win in the short term, kind of take the Rams move from last year, maybe make some free agent moves to try to address the, the variance, whatever it was, that the, the handful of problems that you might have had? Or do you take the track that, hey, we have Josh Allen at quarterback, He's expensive, but he's one of the best players of the game. He's young. Maybe we can win any of the next 10 years in the league and try to take a, a little bit more balanced of an approach. If you're the Bills front office, how is it that you're going to approach this offseason with that in mind? I want to extend my window as long as possible. Because like when you when you were talking about the Rams or something like that, they didn't have their like all they didn't have a superstar quarterback, which is why they went out and traded a zillion draft picks for Matthew Stafford. And even mm-hmm. Stafford is several rungs below Josh Allen. When you have one of these top quarterbacks in the game, and I still, three years on, can't believe we're calling Josh Allen one of the top quarterbacks in the game, but but here (laughs) we are. You do everything you can to keep that window open as long as possible. Because as long as you have him, you have a Super Bowl chance, as long as you can surround him with any level of adequate talent. So I'm not not trading on my draft picks. I'm not going all in. I'm trying to extend for as long as possible, win division year after year after year, and just keep going in there because the playoffs are a bit of a dice fall anyway. All yeah. you can really ask for is to be in the conversation all the time because eventually those 13 seconds are going to go your way, right? <laughs> I think so, and that's why I would take the similar track. And I think that kind of informs some of the decisions that the team might have to make in terms of cuts, in terms of retaining some of their free agents. 
because right now they are $11 million over the cap in effective cap space per over the cap. That's the ninth least resources in that respect. With simple restructures, if every team is doing that, they kind of fall to the sixth least in that respect. So they're going to have to make a handful of, of tough choices. And I'm wondering if maybe with somebody like Cole Beasley, one of their players under contract who they could release to save $6 million, maybe that's a player they could release and not get that much worse because they have some players behind him. You know, Isaiah McKenzie is a free agent, but they could retain him for probably less money. Gabriel Davis obviously had the unbelievable playoff performance. Maybe some of those guys, they could trim a little bit and stay relevant and then address some of their other needs with with the limited resources that they have. What are your thoughts there, Brian? Absolutely. When you have some young receivers like that, you can afford to to uh, cut even a good goal. is still a good player. He's still, he's still starting somewhere, but mm-hmm. the bills can afford to cut him and let him go. They also have some, some of those options on defense as well. Like uh, I think they can get younger, cheaper and better at defensive tackle with Starlo to mm-hmm. Uh They can save five to $10 million at linebacker either by cutting AJ Klein or restructuring Edmonds. Uh, they, they have a lot of options what to do, but they are going to have to do a little bit of fat cutting just to get under the cap. They're not going to be huge spenders in free agency because it's mostly just about managing things and trying to keep things going uh, forward. Yeah, as a Panthers fan, I can say that trying to become Panthers North, that may not be the brightest strategy. So cutting AJ Klein, cutting Star Lotulele, they would combine to save them $9 million and get rid of those, those not as good former Panthers players. On the receiving side of things, I want to dig a little bit more into this because of just kind of how enamored I am with some of these guys. So Beasley finished first with a 61.8% receiving success rate last season, but McKenzie was second, 61.2%. So like he has some of those slot skills, maybe has a little bit more speed from the slot. And then obviously Davis had maybe the best wide receiver performance we've ever seen in the playoffs. The four touchdowns has just been an unbelievable touchdown score throughout his career. So I, I feel like those really are two places where you can kind of make a lot of hay. From the free agent side of things, they've got some big names coming up too. Emmanuel Sanders being one of the wide receivers there, maybe one being more of a veteran they could let walk. But Jerry Hughes, the defensive end, and Levi Wallace, the cornerback, I think are a little bit more important pieces to their team. Maybe guys, they don't have obvious internal options to replace. So how much of a priority are they two to retain? And can they kind of keep them both intact? I am doubtful they can keep them both. I mm-hmm. think that they're pressed up against the salary cap enough that they'll probably someone is going to want to pay Jerry Hughes a bunch of money. Someone's going to want to pay yeah. Levi Wallace at least a decent amount of money. And the Bills just don't have all that much cap space without doing some really heavy bloodletting to get both of them back. I think if I had to prioritize the two, I would try to keep Levi Wallace because the Bills did just use, I think, their first two draft picks last year on, on young edge rushers. So they have some young players who can step up to maybe replace Jerry Hughes if he ends up leaving. Mm-hmm. They don't really have the depth at cornerback. Uh, yeah. And if Levi Wallace goes, they ha- all of a sudden that becomes pretty much their most significant need. And they're going to need to find a draft pick or a cheaper free agent or something out there to replace him. I, I don't, don't know how much better you're going to get than Wallace at the kind of uh, financial level that they're at. Yeah, it's honestly, Wallace has kind of been a victim of his own success. Or from the Bills' perspective, that's true because like he was a, a very solid second corner, but suddenly Tredavious White, your star corner, goes down with a torn ACL in November. And Wallace plays just as well guarding some of the top guys, ends up seventh best at the position with 5.0 yards allowed per target. White was at 5.1. So, I mean, like he was unbelievable. And I think that really ratcheted up his price tag and may have priced the Bills out of keeping him. You mentioned that they don't really have much else behind them. So Dane Jackson was the guy that got thrust into the lineup as a newbie when White was out. He didn't fare as well, 7.8 yards per target. Guys like Cam Lewis, you know, he hasn't played much in his career. Saran Neal, neither is he, but he's also a free agent. 
They've got Teron Johnson in the slot. That like that's a place where there's a very obvious hole that may lead into what we're talking about on the uh, on the draft side of things. But do any of these other guys stand out to you? Like Harrison Phillips, also a free agent. Mario Addison, another former Panther free agent. Uh, Addison doesn't really play as much anymore. He's an older player. I highlighted Mitchell Trubisky as one of their key ones. It's it's not because they need him per se, although he would probably be one of the better backup quarterbacks in the league, but. I think because this draft class is perceived to be pretty weak at quarterback, he's getting buzz as maybe a player that could start somewhere else. Brian, do you think that could actually happen? Are we talking ourselves into Trubisky as maybe being a little bit underrated at this point? I'm not sure if he's underrated, but I do think that someone's going to spin the wheel on him because there's just not that many people out there, especially with some of like all the top, you know, the names, the, the, the Wilsons and the Rogers looking like mm. they're staying in place. Someone's got to start for 32 teams. And, and Trubisky, I guess we, when you look at this year's draft class and if you're not thrilled by them, Mitchell Trubisky might be the third best uh, free agent available for free behind, you know, like the Jameis Winstons of the world. Yeah, so Trubisky, Marcus Mayota, those kind of players mm-hmm. are going to get serious, uh, serious looks again. <laughs> and let's be honest, it's, as, as Joey Sucks in the chat says, if Mitchell Trubisky is one of your top five free agents, you're doing all right. Joey Sucks also says Trubisky is this year's Sam Darnold, just a dagger in the heart right now. Maybe the Bills will want to have Darnold as their backup and continue the Panthers' north run. So, I mean, I would be happy to facilitate that type of action. More realistically, on the free agent front, I think we have a couple of interesting ones. Tim Graham of The Athletic reported that the Bills may want to sign Rob Gronkowski, which I think is a lot of fun. Brian, I'm not sure if you think that Gronk is going to move on and play at all without Brady in the mix, but that would make it kind of an interesting touchdown scoring team. Dawson Knox had nine touchdowns last season and actually was one of the bigger touchdown surplus guys relative to how many expected touchdowns he had. But if you had Dawson Knox, Gronk, and we mentioned how good of a touchdown score Gabriel Davis has been the last two years, yikes, who's going to be stopping that team in the red zone? That's just adding, that's just adding more, more red zone toys. I don't really think that's a massive need for them, but I mean, when you can add arguably the best tight end of all time, if he does still want to play, I mean, you have to just look at it, right? I mean, I would think so. To me, that makes a lot more sense than some of the other rumors where the Bills have been linked to bigger ticket running back guys like Saquon Barkley and Christian McCaffrey. In in my mind, there's there's a little bit of a disconnect between the reality of the Bills rushing attack and the perception where they don't have a bell cow back. So I think, you know, outsiders tend to think that they haven't had a lot of production at the position. But in my mind, Devin Singletary is quite good. So 2.5 yards after contact per attempt since he entered the league three years ago. That's tied for eighth among you know heavily used running backs with Jonathan Taylor. Not saying that Singletary is Jonathan Taylor. 8.5% avoided tackle rate tied with Christian McCaffrey in that time. So like he's been a very efficient player, if not a huge workload player. And I get that he's small. And so maybe he's not going to be taking 250 touches in a season. But I think it would be a mistake for the Bills kind of pushed up against the cap a bit to expend some of that on a running back that's not going to move the needle for them when they might have other, you know, more glaring needs like cornerback. What say you? Yeah, they don't they don't need a, a Saquon Barkley. They, they don't need a big bell cow back. I think they could use someone like a, a, a bigger back back there just to help help with the rotation. I think they, they could get someone to help carry the load, something like that. But that's mm-hmm. not someone you look you're spending a ton of money on. That's not a that's not a top line player. That's just trying to find someone else in that like 40 to 50 range who is going to be, you know, is going to be solid and a, a good complementary piece. Yeah, totally agree. Let's shift to the draft look. Uh, they So they're picking 25th in the draft, obviously pretty late given the, the overall and playoff success. Benjamin Robinson of Grinding the Mocks has several cornerbacks linked to the team. He's saying that 38% of mocks have a round one cornerback for them. Looking at maybe Trent McDuffie, 
Kyer Elam from Florida, Roger McCreary from Auburn. It stands out to me as is the most most obvious specific hole in like cornerback also being a position that you you tend to have to prioritize early in the draft to get the impact players long term. Is there anything else? Like is is this just a slam dunk they're gonna be looking at cornerback here in the first round? Well, it's a slam dunk if Levi Wallace leaves for sure. Mm-hmm. But even if he, even if he stays, I mean, you're right. The other needs they have, they, they, they could look at you know, an interior lineman. To, uh, they could look at a linebacker because I'm not really sold on Tremaine Edmonds. They need that mm-hmm. running back. They could use another uh, interior lineman to go next to Ed Oliver. But none of these are players you want to spend a ton of like high-quality draft capital on. You don't want to spend a first-round pick on a running back if you can avoid yeah. it. You know, the cornerback is like the perfect uh, conjunction of need and value for them. I'd be very surprised. I wouldn't be shocked, but it, but I think that that if you're picking positions at this point, quarterback to Buffalo is one of the easier ones. Or if if you're like kind of the Bills were last year, where you're you're looking forward again, you're taking the tack that you want to win for the next ten years, not necessarily put your eggs in the basket. Just take best player available. I mean, they drafted defensive ends with their first two picks last year. You could say the second one, Boogie Basham, then was a bit of a, like a, a not a need pick, but you know, best available is a good way to sustain this for the long term. You don't really need that much help at the position, like at any position. Yeah. So I feel like you have a lot of options there for the team. Yeah, they're in a good place. They don't. They, it seems like it's very difficult to screw things up at this point. Mm-hmm. So you know, stay, stay calm, stay, stay conservative. I would not do like you started with. Wouldn't do a crazy Rams thing and do a whole bunch of like big plays. Take good players. Take cheap players. Take young players. Just keep building up around the around Josh Allen, and you'll be in contention for the next decade. Before we jump teams, let me mention one more piece of chat here from Joey Sucks. Mentioning that with the team's variance, circling back to that earlier point, the fact that the Bills are a young team, do you think that's a relevant concern with that? Like, to my mind, since they were variant both offensively and defensively, I don't know what to make of it, but I didn't know if you had kind of a read on that situation. I don't have any uh, stats to back that up one way or another. It does kind of follow logically that players who are less used to being in certain situations might make certain more mistakes. I actually do wonder how much of it is a coaching thing to, uh, as well, because like like I said, there there seemed to be in some of those big losses, it seemed like they got stubborn. They they did, oh you know we're not getting anything in our running game. Well, we're we're going to keep pounding at it until it works, or we're going to keep throwing this pattern until it works, and then just getting frustrated when it didn't. But I think when your variance is that high, it's everything. Like you know, it's young yeah. players, it's it's coaching, it's bad luck, it's it's all these things combined. When you're when you're setting records, you need more than one thing to go wrong, right? Absolutely. All right, let's keep this thing going with the New England Patriots. Uh, they finished second in the AFC East at 10-7. and seven. They lost in the wildcard round to the Bills. Kind of got blown out, 47-17. to You know, the, I think the one of the bigger regular season moments from last year was when they had the, the huge weather situation and actually were able to upset the Bills. But every next time they played the Bills, they got beat a little bit more handily to, to that point there. They were fourth in DVOA, but I think the narrative of this team is that, like, Mac Jones was awesome. <laughs> Uh, he had like an unexpectedly great season as a rookie. He ended up being the best performing of all the rookies, even though he was picked fifth. But there's a question of, is his ceiling high enough? Because you're in the AFC, you're competing with Patrick Mahomes, you're competing with Josh Allen in the division, and otherwise, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow's emerging. Like, Are there physical limitations to Mac Jones's game that's going to prevent the, the Patriots to getting back to the mountaintop where they, they were for two decades? Yeah, that you know that, that that was the question before last year's draft. That remains the question today with Mac Jones, because uh, yeah, well, he was the highest DVOA of all the rookie quarterbacks. But if if you that's mostly because of avoiding bad plays. He, he was he was good. Don't don't get me wrong. But a lot of his his value came from the fact that he didn't you know 
run into a million sacks or throw the ball in triple coverage. Mm-hmm. He ran the offense well. He was surrounded by good players. He took advantage of them and, and was able to perform professionally right off the bat. And that's kind of what everyone was expecting to a certain extent, that he was the most pro-ready of mm-hmm. all the rookies last year, and he showed that off in spades. I still question where his ceiling is. I still question how much more is he going to be the the uh, the, the straw that stirs the drink kind of player. Yeah. Because if, if, if last year is his is ceiling, well, then then that's not going to work out against, with all that talent around him. But it's, it's a great starting point, right? You know, you, you'd rather see your quarterbacks do well the first, the first year than, than, uh, than the alternative. I think so. And I mean, I think everyone knows how good of an accurate passer he is. 1.2% completion rate over expectation per next-gen stats. That was eighth highest among all quarterbacks, never mind just rookies. But what may be surprising to people was that he had a 7.6-yard average depth of throw Aaron Rodgers, 7'7". It was higher than Justin Herbert at 7'5", higher than Patrick Mahomes at 7.4". I know he doesn't have arm strength, but this wasn't the case that he was just dinking his dunking his way to success like a Jimmy Garoppolo type of approach. So I think there's a lot more to his game than I think the the, the snap judgment that one might make. So I wonder if you know, the, maybe the ceiling's a little bit higher. I mean, they were the number nine offensive DVOA team last year. That was ahead of the Bills, the Browns, the Bengals. I don't know. Maybe it's better than the narrative would suggest. And it's worth noting that his average of the target increased as the year went on, which I think mm-hmm. is a very good sign. You know, those first couple of weeks, he, there was a lot of lack of deep shots of any kind. But as he got more comfortable, those started coming more. And that's because you want to see that kind of level of improvement week to week, month, month, year to year. And so that, I think that that's might be the most promising sign about Jones is that he didn't come out good and then stay flat like that. Like he got more involved in the offense as the year went on. Yeah. And I'm wondering if the skill talent around him may have had something to do with that as well. I think we'll probably dig into whether they can make some wide receiver improvements. But in terms of their offseason goal, I settled on that they are going to need to replace their likely linebacker and secondary losses, because if Mac Jones does maybe have a little bit lower of a ceiling, the Patriots need to try to stay good in all aspects, stay good defensively the way they were last year. And they have some some pretty good guys exiting what was a top five defense by DVOA potentially. Among their free agents, you have Dante Hightower and Jawan Bentley, uh, both of their starting linebackers. I don't know. You could argue how many linebackers are, are their starters for the team, but um, Hightower's been just a fixture for the team. A pro bowler as recently as 2019, even though he opted out of 2020, but he's going to be turning 32 in March. His broken tackle rate ended up doubling from 2018 and 2019 to 15.2% last year. And Bentley came off a career year, like a, a bit of a slower player, but was a lot more successful in coverage uh, allowing just a 59.1% catch rate after 75% plus in previous seasons. So I feel like Hightower may be aging out of being the impact player that he was, and Bentley may have gotten good enough that teams are going to spend some money on him. And I don't really know what that leaves the Patriots to do this offseason. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think you hit a spot on there. But the, and the, and part of the problem is that you would expect them to have replacements coming up from the draft, but the draft, they have not uh, – the, the mm. uh, the Patriots have not had a lot of success in the last couple of years drafting young linebackers. That that's been for, throughout the you know the twenty year dynasty that they had going on. They always <laughs> had the next guy up, next guy up, and that pipeline has dried up somewhat. Uh, I I think they're going to let both of them go. I, I do think both of them both of them mm. are, are going to go. But that means that they have to be they don't have the replacement already in place. I feel like which is which is uh, unusual for a Bill Belichick yeah. coach. I mean, they they tried. I mean, they drafted Josh Uche in the second round pick in 2020. They drafted Anthony Jennings, uh, the third round pick in 2020. Yeah. Just hasn't worked out. You know, Uche's played 414 defensive snaps in two seasons. Jennings played 292, missed all of last year on injured reserve. I think injuries have probably had a lot to do with their not working out, but 
It's going to be tough. I mean, they they have a little bit of cap space, five million effective space at the moment, but with simple restructures could get up to thirty four million. That's bottom ten though. So it's like these team this team is not as flush as you might want, and they have some blue blue chippers hitting free agency. Even if Hightower isn't that anymore, you've got Trent Brown, the right tackle, hitting free agency. Tackles always go for a premium when they make it this far. J.C. Jackson, I think you can make a case as the best cover corner in football at this point. He's high on the list at least. Uh, you have Devin McCourty, who may be retiring, but another fixture with the team. There's a lot of guys here. I don't know who it is that you think would be the, the number one priority, but I think it might be surprising to people that Hightower may not be it. I'm most concerned about the secondary. Uh, that you know, The fact that J.C. Jackson not only is a free agent, but there seems to be very little talks between him and the Patriots. Mm-hmm. That, that I'm not stunned that Jackson's going to go to free agency to get the test of market because Bill Belichick does like doing a lot of players. But I think they've got to pay. They've got to find a way to pay to bring them back. I think they need that kind of top cover corner to help make their system work. We saw the defense like slide off down the stretch uh, last season, and I think they need to bring back. I, I don't think they can let Jackson and McCourty go and, and start start almost from scratch in the secondary. They need to do something, whether it's bring Jackson back or maybe look for like a Trevarius Ward kind of type. But Something they need to bring in a talented player at cornerback, and they have yeah. one. And I'm surprised that there hasn't been more talks with them in Jackson before free agency has started. I'm definitely more worried at corner. ESPN's Mike Reese is saying that he doesn't expect the team to franchise tag Jackson, which I think is a little bit of a surprise. Um, I don't know. I, I'm less worried at safety. Where uh, who, who's the second year cor- uh, safety that they got from Lenore Ryan? I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now, but yeah, that's um, they've yeah. had some guys emerge there a little bit younger to, to kind of play the replacements. But I mean, they just lost Stephon Gilmore at corner last year too, and so like you lost two incredibly good cogs to the team that in my mind were kind of the strength of the defense that was top five in DVOA as mentioned, and they just they're they're not going to necessarily have the guys on the back end to to make life easier everywhere else on the defense. And to make things worse, they lost Gilmore for basically nothing. You know, a, a mid round pick does not seem like adequate recompensation. So if they lose him for a third round pick and then JC Jackson for nothing, that is a lot of talent going out with not much in return. <laughs> I, I you know I was briefly thinking, oh maybe they could do some kind of like NBA style sign and trade, like you, you tag Jackson and send mm-hmm. him to Atlanta for Calvin Ridley or something and, and give more weapons for Mac Jones. But then, then I remembered. Atlanta doesn't have any money, so that's not going to work. But it's sad, a, sad but true. You can't just let Jackson go for free. You have to do something with him. I think I'm very surprised they're not tagging him. You're bringing up wide receivers here. The real useful title mentions what? How can anyone improve over Nelson Aguilar? Uh, sarcastic comment there. In case anyone didn't catch up on that, I caught it. Just just to be clear, actually, he was one high on my list of potential cut candidates for the team. He would save the team five million dollars if they released him. I think that's kind of a no-brainer. I think releasing Henry Anderson, the defensive end, who doesn't play a ton, would be a kind of a no-brainer. But they do have a couple of contributors that might surprise people as, as cut candidates. Number one, in my mind, being Shaq Mason, the starting right guard. He had a 1.3% blown block rate last season, which was the second best on the team and also top 10 among all guards. But they may need those $7 million, especially if they want to try to work out a long-term deal with someone like Jackson. It's, it's a tough balance because you don't want to make life any harder on your, your second-year quarterback who maybe needs more help than some others than you than you want to. But, uh, you know, they've got some holes to fill, and they don't have a ton of resources to do it. So I wonder if maybe given the broader stability on offense, that might be a place they go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, assuming they're their control with – who is their backup right there? i got to check that. It's a control with someone like Yasser Durant or uh, – oh, wait, wait, they got Michael on waiting. So if, mm-hmm. if they're comfortable with sliding those guys in – then again, if you're talking about getting rid of guards specifically, Ted Karras is a free agent. Like, mm-hmm. you, how many – Trent Brown's a free agent. How many linemen can you afford to lose in one go? 
It's a tough spot. And I think it's it's going to mean that you probably aren't going to end up with any big ticket free agent acquisitions for the team unless Jackson being a retained one is one of them. So I was kind of more dumpster diving a little bit, kind of taking their approach from the previous year. And I'm wondering how inexpensive Juju Smith-Schuster might be because he's a rumored free agent fit for the team. Seems like he would make a little bit of sense given the team's love of the better route running types, the slot receiver types, how that might also be a good fit with Mac Jones. And I'm wondering if his market might be a little bit depressed because his DVOA is really kind of nosedived over the last three years or five years, honestly, from his peak at 37.3% DVOA in 2017 to 4.4, negative 11.3, negative 10.0, and negative 34.7% last year. Do you think that he's gotten a lot worse or has this really been a case of Roethlisberger kind of morphing into the failed completions leader? I think it's a combination of both things. I think that, you know, Roethlisberger's uh, sudden drop in arm strength kind of limits what uh, Juju could do. I do think he's also developed a couple of bad habits over the course of the years. Yeah. Because, but partially partially just trying to make up for that. But also, you know, if you know you're not getting the ball, you know, if you're running a fly route, what, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> I think I think he's a great candidate to go somewhere else and get a fresh start. And the Patriots make a lot of sense for that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's not he's not going to bank the bank because he's had hasn't had great statistical years for three or four years. I think he's a good rejuvenation project. Yeah. So the Patriots, they're picking in the first round 21st. I think that's in a range where some wide receivers might end up making sense. Benjamin Robinson points out Chris Olave is a possible fit and has 35% of mock drafts end up taking a wide receiver there for the team. But they're a team with several needs. He also has high percentages for cornerback and linebacker. Maybe somebody like Devin Lloyd from, from Utah would make sense for the team. There are places they could go, but you know the Patriots only actually have five picks in the draft right now, so maybe another classic trade-back opportunity for Bill Belichick, the king of it. Uh, do you see anything going on in the draft there? Do they need to make a, like a win-now type of move in that respect, or is this another kind of building it for the long term with your younger quarterback? I think uh, more so than the Bills, the, the draft is crucial for the Patriots because they, they have the salary cap issues, because players are leaving like that, and because they, they're just not as good of a team right now. So and. The last couple of years of draft have not 2019-2020 were very bad drafts. I mean, Nikhil Harry, you should be talking about him coming into his own at this point. But instead, we're talking about him maybe leaving the team. We're talking about Chase yeah. Winovich, Josh Uche, all these kind of players. They need to get some more hits. They need young, cheap talent. I do think if they can take a minor trade back from like you know the end of the first round to the top of the second round, that makes a lot of sense because they just need they just need young talent. Yeah, that might be a good thing to do to grab a wide receiver, too, given how deep this draft seems to be at the position. You may not get that much of a downgrade. And in fact, you may get the guy that is a better fit for your scheme by by trading down anyway. Joey Sucks in the chat mentions a rejuvenation project, which, oh, man, I can't believe I didn't think of that myself. Go tweet that, Joey. I mean, that that's going to get you some love on Twitter if you, if you bring that out there. Uh, Brian, let's keep this truck in with the Miami Dolphins. To me, maybe the most fascinating team in football at this point Uh You know, they finished third in the FC East, but nine and eight. Uh, This is a little bit of a discrepancy here between their 25th ranking and DVOA. But they won eight of their last nine games last season. So I think you could read this multiple ways. And so I would ask, really, what was true about the narratives for this team last year and what is just kind of drama? So you have the fact that they won eight of those last nine games, but placed faced kind of a a who's who of not the best quarterbacks from, you know, Tyrod Taylor to the Cam Newton, P.J. Walker platoon to Joe Flacco to Mike Glennon to, uh, to you know Ian Book everyone's favorite I don't know like would you read it as a positive that they came up so late in the season um I don't think they're as good as the eight and one record that they had at the end of the season but I do think that uh there was action that 
they did improve over the course of the year. So I would take that. At least there, there's some truth in that. They were certainly better. They were better at the end of the year than they were at the beginning of the year for certain. I do believe in the defense. I think they finished 10th in DVOA. Mm-hmm. I know that they, they did get some of those easy quarterback matchups towards the end of the year, but I still think that is a strong, uh, that, that, that that's the strength of the team. I like that they kept most of the defensive staff in place, even after moving on from Brian Flores, which is its own thing. We can put that up there for, for, the, for the time <laughs> yes. being. But I, I, I do believe in the defense. And uh, I like that they went out and got an offensive mind here. Because if you have the talent of defense and you have the, uh, you know, the coaching staff in place, you take you take your gamble on on Mike McDaniel coming in and being able to coach up the offense in some way. I, I like them. I think they they're they're closer to being a wild card team than they are to being the terrible team they were a few years ago. Mm-hmm. We're going to dig deep into the Mike McDaniel fit, but let's let's kind of look bigger picture with the ownership front office drama. You mentioned it with Brian Flores, like that may be a drama for years to come about whether there are implications for potentially Stephen Ross maybe incentivizing losing with the coaching stuff. All of that kind of stuff. It's like high, high drama, right? Does to your mind, is any of that going to affect the team on the field in 2022? I don't think it will affect the the players they have on the field. What it might affect is if you're a big ticket free agent, do you want to come to Miami right now with all this going on? Do you uh, like? Do you feel that you the, the rumor that they're paying people to lose? Do you want to be part of that culture? Do you want to be part of that situation? Do you want to be? want to get involved in that any sort of way because if you if you are you know i don't know if you're you're a toronto armstead or something and you're getting a major deal to go to the uh to the dolphins or to the Bengals or something Mm -hmm. what is the draw to go to miami at this point in time over you know a different maybe more stable situation it's really fascinating because uh they have the most money but in terms of cap space 56 million now with simple restructures they could get to 90 million so like they're going to have the money to hand out to potentially the big ticket free agents, which I think we'll get into some of the potential options there. So if that does end up having implications, that could be a major issue for the team. But part of this too, it centers on Tua. I feel like not everyone is a believer that he could potentially be a franchise type quarterback for the team. I think you could easily point to the fact that they had a very weird for the NFL RPO heavy offense. Maybe that's more of a gimmick, but again, McDaniel coming, coming in with a Kyle Shanahan background, maybe there's a way to shift to get something that makes a little bit more sense. How do you expect this team to progress going forward? And is, is Tua a good fit for the offensive scheme changes that, that may be coming for the team? I mean, that, that that's the $64,000 question, isn't it? Because he obviously he has this, some of the shine has got off of Tua from, you know, when he was considered the potential first overall pick and tanking mm. for Tua and all that kind of stuff. But he's not as bad as some of the, you know, the memes and the jokes out there would have you believe. He The offense was so immediate last year, and you have to question how much of that was off the coordinators not having faith in Tua versus not having faith in the offensive line to block yeah. for more than more than half a second. I think that we're going to see the Dolphins look a lot like what the 49ers want to do. With a lot of motion, a lot of moving players around to, to open up short, uh, clear uh, reads in the middle of the field. I think that you're going to see a lot of those quick stance and outs to, uh, to, to General Waddle. I think he's going to have a huge role in this offense. I mean, and Mike Daniel knows what to do with a quarterback who maybe isn't so great throwing the ball deep. Uh, I'm concerned with Tua because when they weren't running the RPOs last year, when yeah. they were asking to do more and go to his second read, his third read, his fourth read, that wasn't going so well. That's when mistakes started occurring. And you don't like, you don't like, if all he can do is, you know, first read and out, that's not a franchise quarterback. That's not someone you want to invest tons and tons of money in. But he's still young. He has, sh- he has shown good things. A change in the offense, something more similar to what he was succeeding in Alabama, can still have a lot of lot of dividends. Uh, I am 
I was wondering before the combine if uh, he might be someone they might move because he's young enough and talented enough that like he could have been part of a Russell Wilson trade, for example. Mm -hmm. He could have, he still has value as an asset, but no, it sounds like Mike McDaniel is fully in on him and wants to rejuvenate him and see what, see what he can still get out of him. I, this, it's a fast, it's going to be fascinating to see what they want. And like I said, you have all the money to bring all the players in around him to help give him as much support as they can. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I think I see what McDaniel potentially sees in, in Tonga Vailoa because I did a little bit of a tale of the tape between him and Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. Shockingly similar numbers in a lot of ways. So Garoppolo, 68.3% completion percentage last year, Tua 67.8. Garoppolo, 1.2% above expectation, Tua 0.9%, both top 10. Both similarly low average depths of target, 7.6 yards versus 7.1. Both top six in average time to throw, and I think we'll talk a little bit more about how the offensive line may have kind of led to Tua making some of the quicker decisions, quicker throws, shallower throws, maybe more circumstantial than, than talent-related. To me, one of the bigger differences, though, was that there were huge differences in their average yards after the catch, where Garoppolo led with 6.9 yards after the catch on average, and Tua was near the bottom of the league with 4.8. And that's, to me, where maybe McDaniel can bring some scheme changes, maybe find some players that better fit in with the Shanahan-type offense and help. I mean, we had guys on the team like Devontae Parker last year who had the lowest average separation among all wide receivers. He's like a contested catch winner. And that just doesn't really make sense in my mind for somebody like Tua who doesn't have the best arm strength to throw those jump balls and give his, his players the best chance to win. So they may need some players to make things easier on Tua and better fit his skill set. Yeah. And they had, remember, they had the, they had the double offensive coordinator situation going on last year. They had too many cooks spoiling the broth kind of thing. It felt like players weren't being used to their maximum potential. And I think that's why you bring in, that's why you bring in Mike McDaniel to hopefully bring in that, that, that hot offense and find better ways to get talent out of people. He's the one who, des- who suggests moving Debo Samuel to, you know, to a wide back, whatever they're calling yeah, it over yeah. there. <laughs> you know, like you, you, you he had, he, he, Mike McDaniel had this great comment on Debo at the, at the combine. They didn't. You don't find a Debo Samuel by looking for a Debo Samuel. You get your talented players and ask, "What can I do to put this guy in situations where I can get the most out of his talent?" So, I mean, like, I don't think they're going to use Waddle like they used uh, uh, Samuel in 2021. I think, but they're going to find ways to get him the ball uh, quickly in short routes so he can get all that yak and stuff like that. They're, they're going to do a better job at putting players in positions where they can succeed. Yeah. Joey sucks in the chat says that I'm going to get sent to Twitter jail for being positive about Tua. So let me go ahead and do that. Cause I think people, you could look at the 6.9% adjusted sack rate. That was just 19th. So like not that bad, not bottom 10 Tua not taking a huge number of sacks and be like, you know, is, is it overblown how bad the offensive line is? And my, to my mind, the answer is no, because Tua had the third quickest average time to throw. You mentioned he wasn't going to his second and third reads very often. It's because his offensive line had the worst pass block win rate. 47% in football and they just, they tried combinations and it just wasn't working. They drafted Austin Jackson high to originally be the left tackle. They had to move him to left guard last year to even keep him on the field. They had to bench Solomon Kinley, a second, uh, fourth round pick from the year before, cause he really couldn't cut it. Liam Eichenberg, their replacement left tackle pick for Austin Jackson. He blew 7.3% of his, his pass blocks, second highest among regular starters. It, I mean, other than Robert Hunt, it's been kind of an unmitigated disaster across the line. And then that digs into like potentially what some of their offseason moves might be among the free agents. Uh, hold on. Among the potential cut candidates, even Jesse Davis, the right tackle would save them 3.5 million. And so like, it's like, this is a team that might need to take an overall chiefs type of approach. 
I don't know. Like they're in a tough spot, but luckily they've got a ton of money. So if they can attract the free agents, maybe they can make things easier. But to my mind, so much of what Tua was last season was a product of the, of the poor circumstances around him more than a read on what his, his long-term ceiling might be. Yeah. It's really hard to judge him when you, when you consider that he had one possibly the worst offensive line situation outside of like, you know, maybe Chicago or something like that. There, there, there was nothing there. And it's been a problem for multiple years in Miami. They keep waiting for, oh, yeah, they, they were trouble, but they're young, so they improve. Well, sometimes bad young players just become bad old players. The, the, the yeah. development is not always there. They've got to come in. They've got to come in and do some massive work. Yeah. And so the Dolphins, they have a ton of cap space, so they don't really need to, to cut anybody, but they actually have a lot of players they could cut and pick off a two to $3 million, you know, cap savings here and there. Eric Rowe, the safety might make sense. The team drafted Javon Holland last year. He was really a defensive rookie of the year candidate if it weren't for, for Micah Parsons. So like he, I don't think Roe, they really need him anymore. Jesse Davis, as mentioned, is, is blown three or more percent of his blocks in four of his five years with the team. Devontae Parker, I mentioned that the lack of average separation, but also negative 1.5 yards after the catch plus per catch was eighth lowest last year. So again, if you're looking for yards after the catch, that's not really the right fit for the team. Uh, so maybe they can free up a little bit of extra money there. Among their own free agent options, they have some guys they probably are going to want to prioritize bringing back. To my mind, Emmanuel Ogba, the defensive end, that, that's got to be the number one guy. He had 38 pass pressures last year. That was tied for 11th most among all defenders. But you probably hear a little bit more about tight end Mike Gesicki, who as a skill player is a little bit more fantasy relevant, maybe more in the news. And what's your read on Gesicki? Because his, his negative 7.4% DVOA last year wasn't too good. But I wonder if that might be circumstantial as well. I think I think that's circumstantial. I think that that Kaseki, uh is a is a talented pass catcher who just was not being used properly. Was not the system. The offense wasn't designed to get him the ball in the, in the best situations. I think that he's he's a candidate who can see a significant improvement with a change in uh, uh, philosophy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he actually had ten point four percent DVOA in twenty twenty. And the, the, the average depth of target was just hugely different. Last year, 8.8 yards. The year before, 11.1 was the highest among regular tight ends. So, like, that's a guy that actually can really stretch the field at tight ends. And so it's, I don't know, like, Gesicki isn't, isn't George Kittle, right? So, like, you would say that, no, like, like, this isn't exactly who Mike Medina might want at the position, but, like, nobody's George yeah. Kittle, right? Like, nobody has that complete skill set that is that good of a receiver and that good of a blocker. And so, to my mind, just because he isn't perfect – doesn't mean he isn't worth a pretty sizable contract. And I, I think they might bring him back, maybe even franchise tag him. And that's the thing. If if Mike McDaniel needs exactly the same players he had in San Francisco to be successful, then you shouldn't have brought Mike McDaniel to be the head coach. If he can't get the maximum out of what players he has available, then what is he doing here? I, I, I think he's going to find what, good ways to use Gasecki, even if he's not exactly George Kittle. Yeah, so I think you teased this earlier, but GM Chris Greer told reporters the team isn't going to be trading for Deshaun Watson. So... Given how complimentary uh, McDaniel has been about Tua, it seems like he's probably going to be the quarterback going into this season, barring something crazy. So that's going to leave a lot of, of potential money to go after some of the bigger name guys. And honestly, with all of the offensive line problems the team's had, I'd be shocked if the Dolphins didn't try to sign, say, left tackle Teron Armstead from the Saints or Ryan Jensen, the center from the Bucks. Yep. Like, go after those big dudes with the money, kind of like if you were the Bengals, right? Add in Lakin Tomlinson, you know, coming to bring the Niners uh, system directly in as the offensive guard. Yeah, I mean, you can you can go out and offer contracts to any or all of these players. Just just bring in as many talented linemen you, you can. 
because what you know what what uh, McDaniel wants to do as part of the run game coordinator in San Francisco for so many years is a lot of zone blocking and bully ball up front, and they just don't have they don't have the horses yet. So you go out and offer any any offensive lineman worth his salt a contract and bring him in. And I think offensive line is probably going to be where they're looking in the draft as well. Benjamin Robinson has fifty six percent of mock drafts taking an offensive lineman with their first round pick. Um, unfortunately for the Dolphins, that pick is 29th. They've made a couple of trades in recent seasons that have kind of hurt them a little bit in that respect. They lost a first, I guess they lost their better first round draft pick by virtue of trading back with the 49ers from the number three spot last year, but then trading back up to the number six spot. Uh, so they ended up, I think with the 49ers pick instead of their own in the first rounds. Uh, but they did pick up an extra fourth round pick by virtue of the Minka Fitzpatrick trade. And so they have some other mid round guys they can just kind of take shots. Like to me, like go ahead and take multiple shots in the draft at offensive line, grab one of the big ticket guys if you can as well, or just try to do a complete overhaul. Is, is anything else standing out to you as somewhere they need to look at this maybe in the draft too? Uh, I, th- I do think they could use a wide receiver as well because uh, you know they have the speed guy in Waddle and they have a potential deep threat in, in Parker. Uh, they could use them like a mid-range possession guy, you know, just to mm-hmm. give a different skill skill kind of thing. But again, they've got so much money in free agency. Maybe they go after Allen Robinson yeah. or something. You know, that's what makes it hard to predict the draft. They've just got so much cash that what we don't know what needs they're going to have because they could sign they could sign everybody. You know, maybe they maybe they look for another edge in case Emmanuel Ogba leaves, or maybe they look for. Uh, a middle linebacker kind of we don't know what they want until they until the free agency is a little more in because they just have so they have so much cash they, they have an un, un- unworldly amount of cash all right we've had three teams in, in pretty good positions so far in the, in the division the new york jets maybe not so much last year they finished fourth in the afc east four and 13 record they were 26th in dvoa and I know that he was only a rookie, but like my major takeaway coming out of the season was, do you think it's too soon to label Zach Wilson a bust? The the basic statistics weren't good. 55.6% completion rate, nine touchdowns versus 11 interceptions, negative 32.3% DVOA, also the worst among regular starters last year. And when you start digging into it over the last decade or so, that's kind of down there in the territory of the one and done busts. I mean, a lot of guys that end up say five to 15% below average, end up going on to be quite good. Andrew Luck was in that range. Joe Burrow was in that range recently. Derek Carr as well. But when you get below that 25%, you're kind of down there with your Geno Smiths, your Deshaun Kaisers, your Blake Bortles of the world. And I don't know, what like, what do you think? Is Are we jumping to conclusions here with Wilson, who was in a particularly bad situation maybe? But I don't know. What are your thoughts? I don't like writing anyone off, especially a high, you know, the number two pick in the draft after just one season. 2021 was very, very bad. I mean, the, the bottom bottom 10 among rookie quarterbacks in recent years. Yeah. And what worries me most is that th- there were highlights. There absolutely were highlights, but most of them came out of structure. You know, he's running away mm-hmm. from the blitz and throwing a ball 50 yards downfield with that great arm strength, and then it's dropped because the Jets had no talent anywhere on the team. The, the, he didn't do much in structure. He didn't do much, you know, just drawing back and making his reads and going, going through his progressions. That concerns me because the Sandlot ball is great and fun, but if you can't do the bread and butter, that's what made Mac Jones such a good uh, quarterback in his first year. He could do all the the little and basic things over mm-hmm. and over. That, that's how you build consistent uh, success. And, uh, you know, Wilson, Zach Wilson couldn't do that. You look at some of the other quarterbacks who struggled as a rookie. Trevor Lawrence could go through those progressions, made plays. He tried to do too much, but you could see him working in the structure. Uh, you know, Trey Lance and his limited uh, uh, action did that. Zach Wilson, it was it was you know draw a play on a napkin and see what we see what happens, and that that worries me quite a bit. He needs to take a significant jump here between year one and year two. 
Uh, I agree. Because I don't think it was quite as dire circumstances around him as you might expect. And in particular, I'll point to a 61% pass block win rate was 17th in the league. So kind of middle of the pack. That was actually ahead of the Buccaneers, the Colts, and the Cowboys, teams that I think we perceive as having these really good offensive lines, but I think underscores how big of a piece of the equation the quarterback is in getting rid of the ball quickly and making quick and good decisions. And, and Wilson held onto the ball. I mean, he, he had a 3.0 average uh, second to throw on average. So this is the third highest in the league. And that, I think, led to him taking a lot of his sacks. Now, I think you probably can question like how open his receivers really were. And I mean, that could potentially be a big factor in his ability to get rid of the ball quickly. It's And, and to my mind, that kind of is the, is the number one goal this offseason. Assuming that you can't hit the full-on reset like the Cardinals did a couple of years ago, and I don't think the draft picks in this class make that an option, even if you really wanted to go there, you've got to do the best you can to upgrade the offense and, and kind of be able to fully evaluate Wilson this season so you're not stuck in that Sam Darnold limbo for, for multiple years of question development. They, they, they started that track last year. I think they had their mind in the right place, but it, just, it didn't go quite as well. Elijah Moore ended up being hurt a good bit. Corey Davis, their big ticket free agent, missed the second half of the season with core muscle surgery, uh, but also wasn't as good as he was in his career year as last year with the Titans. So even if you get better fortune from those guys, I think you're looking to upgrade for pass catchers one way or another, right, Brian? Definitely. I mean, and and what and they spent so much of their draft capital and resources last year on bringing offensive players, and it worked a little bit. They they did climb the 22nd in DVA. It wasn't mm-hmm. they they weren't as bad as they had been in years past. But they were they were just climbing up such a large hill. You do need so many. You you need more pass catchers, a tight end and wide receiver, and for that matter, guard are immediate needs as opposed to like you know there are other places where you, you can upgrade over bad edge rushers or, or or cornerbacks. But no, they just need warm, talented bodies at the pass catching positions. I do think Elijah Moore could potentially be like a real star, a bit of a secret star. And if you look at some of his efficiency metrics, I think they stand out. So like 0.135 yak plus per catch. That was 13th highest among regular wide receivers, just between DJ Moore and Amon Ross St. Brown. But I think the fact that he didn't play the full season to put up the bigger numbers, maybe didn't get the bigger touchdown totals. It didn't quite pop the same way that say St. Brown's late season rookie year did. Uh, So I think you, you may have really hit on a guy there that can kind of lead it forward, but Jamison Crowder's a free agent. Braxton Barrios is a free agent. Keelan Cole's a free agent. Even tight end Tyler Croft is a free agent. So, like, there's just a, a lot of pieces that you need to kind of fill in in that respect that, that I think you might need multiple guys. You might need to hit it in free agency and hit it in the draft. They, they um, need to warm bodies. Frankly. Yeah, but so many players leaving. You need people out there to actually play football. I mean, because even if Elijah Moore takes that next step, which I think which I think is a very good chance he will, yeah. you, just, you just need more, more talent around him. Yeah, luckily they have a lot of resources. They're not quite Dolphins flush with money, but their fifth most in, in current effective cap space would be sixth most with simple restructures and have a handful of guys they can cut. Like they've already released Shaq Lawson and gotten that $9 million back, but you could cut Sheldon Rankin's defensive tackle to get $5.5 million. You could cut Greg Van Roten, the right guard, and get $3.5 million. And he had a 4.1% blown block rate last season, was the second highest among regular non-tackles. That makes sense. You've got some backups like Ryan Griffin and Justin Hardy that you could cut. So I think there's some ways to end up with quite a bit of money. But surprisingly, for a team that didn't quite finish as well, the Jets also have a handful of maybe bigger ticket guys that they might would prefer to keep. Uh, and to my mind, that kind of starts with Marcus May, the safety, who like the Jets absolutely killed it with that Jamal Adams trade. They, they got the draft capital, and then May was ready to go. In 2020, he was top two in both coverage success rate and in yards allowed per target among safeties. 
But uh, this kind of became a bit of a sticky situation when they brought him back under the franchise tag, couldn't work out a long-term extension, and then May ends up rupturing his Achilles back in week eight. And now I wonder, like, is May going to be too frustrated with the contact situation and all of that to maybe want to come back to the team? Like, you think, are there outside factors here that are going to make them unable to keep him, even if they have the money to do so? I think if a contender comes calling, right? If a contender comes calling with with a with a comparative contract, mm-hmm. then I think I don't. It does not feel to me like like May has an incredible love for playing with the Jets. Like it's not like oh, this is the team that that gave me a chance and so on and so forth. I think if someone comes comes knocking with a better situation, that the Jets are going to have trouble keeping him. I do yeah. think they can they can match any offer out there. Maybe maybe Robert Sala has developed this great relationship with them. I don't know. But it's it's hard to keep players when you're not very good because there there are there are you know the siren call of playoffs and Super Bowl appearances are out there. Yeah. So the Jets have a couple of other offensive line free agents: Morgan Moses, the right tackle, and Laurent Devarney Tardif, a right guard. Moses, I think, was surprisingly effective with the 3.4% blown block rate last year, but I think they're probably comfortable letting him go, assuming they can get Makai Becton and George Fant to play nice. Yeah. You figure like they would take the left and right tackle spots one way or the other. However, that ends up sorting out in the preseason. Devarney Tardif is interesting because he's currently practicing medicine in Canada. So there could be some like weird logistical COVID related factors about how quickly he could get back to the team. But I feel like maybe they could work out something there. But again, the offensive line isn't quite as bad as, as you would expect, given the lack of offensive success the team had. Among the free agent receiver types, you know, I mentioned Crowder and Barrios. Is there one of them that stands out as somebody they should target to retain, or are they mostly looking outside the organization there? Uh, of the two, I like Hakeem Barrios because he also has a, a significant special teams value. But mm-hmm. like, I don't think either of them are the not make or break players. <laughs> Let's yeah. put it that way. I mean, it, it'd be nice. It'd be nice to bring one or two of them back, but it's it's not going to be the end of the world if, if either of them go. But of the, yeah, of the two, yeah. I keep Barrios. I would too. Like the all pro kick returner is great. He's also three years younger, 26 versus 29. And by the way, Berea's 4.1 average yards of separation last year was the second highest among qualified receivers. I was a little stunned to see that. And I know that running slot routes all day makes it easier to have that separation. But I honestly wonder whether he might should get a little bit more run at receiver than he's gotten so far in his career. I think that would be an interesting, probably lower cost move they could make. But they have to be looking at some of the bigger ticket guys out there as well. To my mind, given that they do have some receivers, like, you know, maybe you get the bounce back from Davis, maybe Moore gets the breakout. I'd love to see them add a pass catching tight end, maybe like a Dalton Schultz type. And Schultz is just 25 years old. But like, is there somebody out there that you think would be a particularly good fit for the team at receiver? I Anyone would work at receiver to a certain extent. But the, the player I like, he's not really a receiver anymore, but I think Cordell Patterson would be mm. make a lot of sense as a movable chess piece in this offense. I think that... I think I think they're more looking for talent at any kind of position more than strictly yeah. a possession receiver or a deep threat or something. And I think someone like that, you, you know, can move around because I mean everyone's looking for the Debo and the, the Jets run that Shanahan style offense still. So I think someone like that might make a lot of sense to come in. I'll also point out that Jesse Bates, the Cincinnati safety, gets linked to the team a lot. I feel like again, if if they can't keep May because of some of just the contention between the front office and him with the contracts. Bates would be a kind of a bigger ticket safety you could bring in. And, and maybe you wouldn't suffer as big a, of a step down for a team that kind of wants that center field type of, of safety back there. I don't know if the Bengals would let him get away. Probably not. But like there could be some contract dispute type activity there as well. So maybe that could be an option there f- for the team as well. Well, well, in the secondary, Carlton Davis is, 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 mm. is a name who might be able to come in because 
the Jets need a lot of cornerbacks. They could they could probably stand to get two or three cornerbacks back there. So someone like that who can run the same kind of zone thing that the Jets want to do would make a lot of sense. I like that. And the Bucks, they don't have the same financial resources the Bengals exactly. do, obviously. So like it's going to be tough for them to keep a lot of guys, uh, Davis, I think, included. I like that a lot. Luckily for the Jets, too, they do have a lot of draft capital to work with. They have two picks in the top 10. They added an extra top 10 pick in that Jamal Adams trade. Like, again, what an incredible trade for the Jets. That's going to end up being. Uh, they also have some extra mid-round guys. They have an extra second and fourth round pick, courtesy of my Panthers, for that great Sam Darnold trade. They added a fourth round pick for the Chris Herndon move, too, for the Vikings. So, like, they're flush with some, some high-end draft picks. So, I mean, it's not just a one type of thing here, but I think – there are a number of guys they could add near the top of the first round. Benjamin Robinson has Derek Stingley, Kyle Hamilton, the safety from Notre Dame, and, and Ikim and um, Akongwu, the offensive tackle from North Carolina State, as potential options. But here's a team with so many holes in so many places, they could probably look a lot of different ways. The philosophical question might be that, like, hey, they had a really bad defense. Do you want to kind of try to turn the defense around? Or is this really more of a let's do everything we can offensively to evaluate Wilson? And you know what? If we have the, the number 30, uh, defense next year who cares we want to know if our quarterback is a franchise guy honestly i think you can uh, vary wilson a little more if your defense is there wilson had 18 pass attempts last season with a, at least a seven point lead only 18 the jets were behind <laughs> so much Yikes. that you know you, you you lose a lot of your offense there when you're trying to come back uh, game after game after game after game so bolstering the defense might well let you evaluate wilson more because you can actually run him out there in more normal situations so I, I think a first-round cornerback would make a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay, well, Brian, I think that's going to probably wrap up our AFC East free agency preview. Uh, as mentioned, Aaron and Mike are going to be back from the combine next week, so they'll be able to wrap up this whole exercise just in time for free agency to hit. Brian, it was a pleasure to have you on. I know that you have your NFC South four downs. Just hit the site, I think, yesterday on footballoutsiders.com. But do you have anything else coming down the pike that you want to tell our audience to keep their eyes on coming up? We've got the free agent previews are coming out next week where we give a kind of the overview of what's coming on, uh, who's going to be available and who's not going to be available. And we've got the uh, USFL previews coming up the rest of this week, assuming that the USFL is a thing that's actually going to exist. Uh, you know, stay tuned on that one. So fingers crossed to all of you spring football fans that we can get that off the ground here. Uh, Brian, I'm sure it's going to be great as all of your work is. For everybody that's been following along with us live, we really appreciate it. Um, again, we are live every thir- uh, Wednesday and Thursday during the offseason. You can stream us on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, or Facebook. So catch us there or catch us after the fact also on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. We have a lot of great stuff. But between that, between the Splash Play uh, podcast with, with our guy Chris Spaggs, between all the great work on footballoutsiders.com, we've got tons of great offseason content. So everybody check that out. And then for the live stream followers, we will look forward to catching you next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Thanks so much for following along. 